I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This episode is a general discussion uh, inspired by topics that were covered at VMware Explore, uh, where we were talking about edge. And then that led to um, AI ML, which led to another topic, which led to another topic. Um, and we had a really good conversation um, about how edge and compute and SaaS and cloud influence everything that we do. And if you enjoy hearing about how interconnected our technology and choices are, everything from Bitcoin uh, to edge and cloud and government interaction, this is the podcast for you because we cover pretty much all of it and then connect it together. I know you will enjoy it. Oh, and as a reminder, uh, coming up on September 14th, we are having one of our quarterly book club meetings, this time on the death of expertise. And uh, if you you still have time to read that book uh, and come in and join in the uh, discussion or watch for our continuing series, this is part of what we are doing with the Cloud 2030 discussions. And I will post our discussion about it in a little while. Do you get a sense of where the energy focus is at at VMware to the degree there is one? I mean, are they, you know... A great question. Because, you know, Kubernetes basically changed their world, right? And I guess my question is where... Where are they putting the emphasis commercially? Where are they putting the emphasis tech with, with respect to the technology? And um, I, I'm because I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I mean, they definitely have a lot of Tanzu pieces and yeah. Tanzu work. Um, interesting, that, but the like the floor does not have a lot of Kubernetes stuff or Tanzu stuff. So. Like the the people who are here, I don't get the sense that they're coming to because there's a big Kubernetes ecosystem formed here. Um, they're coming because they're living off of a previous era of VMware. Uh yeah, no, and that they need storage and backup and. Um, right. There, you know, there's a lot of interest in the networking stuff they're doing. They're doing some really good stuff on networking. Um, mm-hmm. The edge stuff I went to was frankly really disappointing. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, no, that is that. It just like they're they're still doing edge one hundred and one stuff, or they have some, you know, intro, you know, potentially, you know, stuff they're building for edge, um, but not in production for edge. Uh, not in production for Edge. No, Who they're, they're, they're yeah. where would into in, you know given today where would you go for a you know a conference uh, an expo uh, you know a gathering that actually addressed Edge the way you would think somebody <laughs> like Mark your timing is perfect. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mark's timing is perfect for that question. 
I, I have tried to go to a lot of things for edge and I have been really, really disappointed in the edge. It's the, the, the conferences I've seen for edge. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think they're happening in any one setting because I think one, I think edge is a misnomer. This is Mark. And I talked about this on Tuesday in some ways it's a misnomer. It's just it on, you know, in situ. Um, and so, you know, the factory edge is, it, it's not clear at the moment that it's actually the same thing as the telco edge. It's not mm-hmm. the same thing as the retail edge. It's not the same thing as it's you not know, the, the same thing as the, as the, um, the mobile, the, the mobile, the, you know, Right. Yeah. Generation five. So 5G, the five G edge is one is different from everything else. Hey, Mark, how's it going, guys? Sorry, I'm uh, two years late. you've got seven you years to they, catch up for. You know what they say: better, better late than never. Right? I guess so. I guess so. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that we're gonna, you know, solve anything relative to edge. But you know, part of the conversation that Rob and I had, um, <clears throat> which I think, to be honest, I think some of us were starting to have this conversation a couple of years ago, uh, including some of the people on this call right here, um, and that's that you know. Edge has arrived in many cases. It's just not arrived the way people are expecting it to arrive or were hoping it would arrive. You know, if I if I talk to somebody in the data center space, most of the people in the data center space, the first thing they're going to say is, where's Edge? It hasn't happened. Well, I tried to tell them four years ago, five years ago, maybe even farther back saying, look, guys, if you think you're going to see Edge because somebody's going to call you and say, I need, you know, $5 million worth of um, (laughs) compute access in 200 markets, go build it and I'll buy it. Then you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. That shit's not going to happen. If it does, it'll be the one in a million opportunity. The opportunity that does exist, and I believe is existing um, at some level of scale, is the people that need, you know, from one to 20 servers in from 10 to a thousand places. And those things don't make any noise. They don't turn on a neon sign in downtown Austin or downtown San Francisco saying, look, great, you have edge. They solve a localized problem based on latency or based on sovereignty or whatever. And nobody knows, nobody gives a fuck. They're just using it. So, um, I mean, to say edge doesn't exist, I think is a huge failure of imagination. But to say to 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 have it be what most conferences wanted it to be, to have it be what most data center operators wanted it to be, um, that's not there. I'm not sure it'll ever be there. Um, which you know, uh, and if I can extend this conversation two more minutes, I'll go back to a conversation, Rob, that you and I had on your podcast, okay, like in 2017 or something. I mean, it was a long freaking time ago. Yeah. Where uh, I don't remember whether you suggested it first or I suggested it first, but the basic idea would be that the demand and the saturation of technology at what would be considered the, the market that is edge, that is where people are, where demand might be from a localized standpoint, would be so great that we would have to find ways to better utilize that resource, regardless of who 
the supplier or owner of that resource was, right? Um, with the basic idea being that in order for us to facilitate a combination of cost and resource utilization, we couldn't afford to have 500 different offerings of some edge solution in every town right. that were using 20 or 30% of their capacity. Instead, we have 100 solutions, which are using 80% of capacity, similar to the way Google uses its resource. Um, but it, it's, it's still um, not going to look like Edge because, again, I mean, when you go into a, a, um, a, an event and you have localized access to information about the event, and it has data about other participants at the, does it come up on your phone and say, look, you're using the edge, congratulations. But you are, uh, you the edge. When, when, and to yeah. Rob's point earlier about what is, what we might've considered edge three, four, seven years ago versus the kinds of edge that are being deployed now, San Francisco airport. When I was still at, um, uh, Apsera in 2015, 2016, um, the San Francisco airport was deploying an edge-like solution. Now, if you think of, of San Francisco airport as a small city, you could call it edge, no different than Austin trying to do, uh, you know, their edge solution with their pins all over the city. But it's not an edge that anybody else is going to care about. The pilots won't even know they're using edge. Maybe. I, but and I but I and I would argue they don't even they aren't they don't that's not edge. It is it is just airport IT. Right. This is this is the thing we we have a we're we're running into that age old problem of yeah. you know what the fuck is edge because yeah. you know if I go and I had a extensive talk with um, Vodafone UK and. They have a business unit that's 5G edge. You know, they want, they're selling bookus, nothing, because they have no customers that are buying what they, Vodafone, consider edge. And that is 5G out to, you know, a bunch of hopped up sensors somewhere. And, you know, kind of small, you know, sometimes hyper-converged hardware, software systems out there and, you know, planted in, in various places. Right. And they can't, they can't figure out, you know, what the applications are. They're sitting there, you know, on their hands Ooh. kind of going, what do I, what do I do here? One of the we're, things that really has not emerged along those lines is, and, and Joanne sent that link, um, is this idea of a multi-tenanted distributed infrastructure, right? It, it's, right. it's, it's super hard to manage. It's not, it's not really cloud. It, it is cloud. It, it, it's, it you know, we're having cloud. enough trouble with multi-region cloud. Yeah. Right. Let alone, you know, hyper-localized multi-tenant infrastructure. And, and so, and, and is, I'm not even sure people want it. 
is well, the part of the problem or there we have well, they don't know they don't know if they want it or not because how who actually sees it i mean this is this is part of mark's point mm-hmm. you know and that, it's and like that's sorry the answer to your question about what is edge is there isn't one yeah yeah there isn't an edge in the way it was originally intended there isn't an edge in factory use of it but it is spreading geometrically and exponentially across manufacturing supply chains, whatever. But to your point, Rich, if you think about an iSIM or a cheap MUC that's got an an embedded iSIM, that's their edge. That's the thing that's they're sticking onto a box, regardless of what that box function actually is. Could be an oven, could be a conveyor, could be anything. It could be a beacon in a hospital. It's not just manufacturing, it's right. widespread and it's in it's it's, it's coming it, to a convergence it, of what used to be called wearables and IIoT devices. And that yeah. whole scattering is what I hear over and over again. Well, I'm looking at aren't they called edge devices? Not anymore. Yeah. And the smarter no. those little sensors become whether they're iSIM or eSIM or anything else, or even skin, they are the new edge. It's the device. It's the little compact, I can do everything you need me to do, push, pull, you know, send messages. I have certain amount of computing power, but well, to Mark's point, it's let me, everywhere. Let me, ask you, let me, let me push but back nowhere. just a little bit on that. If, Pardon me? Let me push back just a little bit. If that's kind of the the place where you're focused, and it is predominantly a you know hyperconverged or hyper shrunk piece of, of of hardware with a you know a fairly dedicated job, mm-hmm. and then you I go back and talk to folks who are in the five G you know, edge compute business, they are sitting there talking more in the terms that Mark just used, saying, look, I've got a distribution of lights out data center or data center capability that I need to enable with the right uh, platforms, right? Software platforms, the right monitoring, management, everything else, so that my customer, whoever they are, whether it's you know the hospital, whether it's the manufacturing, whether it's a building that's got to you know use it for managing the the infrastructure in the building, you know, has an easy time of just plugging in and going. Mm-hmm. We're we're kind of hampered by this term, I think is what it comes down to and you know where we're where we're missing it is you know just by definition edge is a boundary these there these things are not they don't have that kind of distinct bright line straight you know straight edge boundaries anymore and thinking about them that way is kind of wrong think you know, I, I, 
they're fuzzy. They're fuzzy edges, right, Mark? Right, right. I mean, I, I yeah. tend to agree. Uh, I tend to agree, and I, I um, so well, two things. I'll get the, the uh, an add on to what Rich just said out of the way, and and say maybe we ought to come up with a with a term um, that somehow represents localization. Because whether it's localized in one building or localized in a city, localized in a state, localized in a country or localized for the world, it's localized compute. Um, and so calling it edge has a lot of weird connotations. The other the other thing is it, yeah, is yeah, it good, that's a very good point. The proximity is it geography. Is yeah, it, it could be geography. It could be a geography. It could be a, a building. Right. What, but the point oh, of geography. the solutions that we're seeing to, to, to remove myself from the word edge, the point of the solutions we're seeing is that it's localized. It could be. That's the word. That's the word. Keeps data in their data center and brings Amazon compute to their data center in order to have localized compute. And Amazon would call that edge, just like Azure would call that edge. Yeah. Right. But it's localized. We, we get into we get into problems with the term localized because localized is also used. Right. In it in this, I'm going to I'm going to have it speak uh, Farsi. Right. <laughs> I'm going right. to have it speak Latin. That's why. Yeah, it's that's a proximity. Why, There's a proximity, proximity or something. That's why I suggested it's probably going to need a different different name. But but I I get it. I get yeah. your point. But the other the other piece is that um and I, I I wish I'd thought about this how to represent this more effectively with Edge um and that's that makes the assumption that I'm going to make it more um effective because I'm representing it relative to um, metaverse. But um, I talk to finance people all the time that are interested in, you know, what is or isn't going to happen with metaverse. And I talk to other people in the in industry about it. And I don't know. I don't know, Dick. I mean, I, I just have my opinions. I, I don't know. Um, I feel like I had a lot more comfort with what may or may not happen with edge than I do with metaverse. But one thing that I've been certain about since the beginning of metaverse is meta wasn't metaverse. A lot of people, especially up until about a year ago, almost everybody I talked to said, well, Meta's struggling. Said, what does that have to do with whether there's going to be a metaverse or not? Well, they're <laughs> Meta. Everybody just assumed that somehow they were the natural gateway to the world for metaverse. And mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a corollary between what people assume is this somehow magical Everybody is welcome. Everybody does the same access. Everybody shares in this global metaverse that is a replacement for the internet. And what is really going to happen is pockets of opportunity that are driven by opportunity to, uh, uh, to embolden a metaverse development to the point of return on investment. But to assume that someone is going to build, quote unquote, an edge or a metaverse that is enabled globally the same way and we can just all come and use it. I, I, I would I would ask every one of us to come up with one example in in global deployment of I.T. where we forced how people adopted into a uniform methodology, even with even with the Internet, the Internet didn't force us to go through Microsoft to get to everyone else. The internet popped up a million different ways. And all that changed was we created a common access and interpretation point built on HTTP and HTTPS. 
And so yeah. Metaverse is being developed. There are hundreds of companies that have some development or some successful deployment of a I, Metaverse-like I, product. I, I, I mean, most I of, mean, and most a, of them are gaming companies. Most yeah, of them I was going to ask, what, 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 you know, I've, I've, I've avoided the term and, and anybody that kind of waxes poetic about Metaverse, I, what, what now constitutes in your mind metaverse? Where where does it? Yeah, to to me, where does it, it live? Um, uh, uh, and again, I, I'm not the expert, right? Um, so that we could we could spend the whole rest of the hour um, talking about just like we started talking about the definition of edge. We could talk about the definition of metaverse. My my simple um, uh, translation of metaverse is that it is the next way to interact with people. Um, via some uh, network access point. And whether that access is through um, using uh, some form of goggles or whether it's um, a 3D type emulation via a web client or whatever, but it's something that allows you to have more of an experience associated with your transaction it's, or activity. It's the immersive. It's the immersive. Or immersive, exactly. Yeah. Mm. And so within that the good and the bad for people like me who are prognosticating on the subject at the moment is that there is a lot of room for what that looks like right but that's that's actually my point is that a lot of people think metaverse hasn't happened because we're not all wearing goggles i've used tools with a friend's company that don't require goggles at all you can use your hands on a touch screen or you can use a mouse and you can have fully interactive, you can walk up to people, start hearing their conversation. It gets louder as you get closer. You can go into a room and the other people in the room that you know raise their hand and say, hey, come over and sit over here. That's way better than any traditional um, web access to a concert or to a, a teaching venue or or something like that. So the definition for metaverse then becomes a broad category for immersive experience. Immersive, immersive experience, mm, like that. Experience oriented compute access or internet access. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, listen. It's, it's, I, not, I, it's not. It's not just access. It's 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 actually engagement. That's right. That's okay. right. That's a better word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you use that definition, I would buy into it because it's, it is the experience. It is the engagement in the experience, but there's still a lot of stuff out there that what would you do with, you know, it, how, how immersive is immersive in the metaverse before it becomes just the experience of engaging with a cyber physical system. Yeah. I I asked that, yeah. I don't, I don't really I asked that for a reason. Very recently. I mean, I, I, you know, I do a lot of stuff that's like out of the norm. There's companies now that are creating because hepatics has evolved so quickly. E-skin has evolved so quickly there are companies, whether they're in China or other parts of the world, where you literally touch something, a pad on your arm, and the remote experience is conveyed to the person on the other end of the internet. 
where they actually feel the touch that you're making on the on the e skin on your arm, and they're using this, you know, uh, for um, uh, various physical challenges, um, where even to the point of robots being able to sense if you are trying to move them out of the way that they would feel the touch on their shoulder, right? In a world of cobots or robots or whatever, um, this is not out uh, out there. This is companies that are actually doing this now to try and get over the remoteness of being disconnected from another human being where you can bring that to light. A lot of it is AI driven. Some of it is actually mechanically driven where you're translating signals. Does that level of inter of uh, experiential engagement fall under the metaverse or does that fall under we are in the era, we are in the AI era, generally speaking, without putting a, a more significant frame around it. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know um, that I have the answer you're looking for, Joanne, but I, I would, I would say that um, what's driving me to believe that in all of its potential formats, something metaverse like mm -hmm. uh, needs to happen for um, needs to happen not just fun, but needs to happen for a number of different reasons. One of them goes back to my notion of, um, of what may happen with, um, with more location-based um, computing, whatever we decide that term should be, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the other goes to, um, uh, and, and I, I'm happy to go into more a deeper explanation of both of these examples I'm making um, or correlations that I'm making. Um, but I want to step out for just a second and provide a little bit of context. When I was growing up, I grew up in an environment where people didn't have shit, right? I mean, literally didn't have shit. And so um, a kid, a five-year-old kid could sit on a corner outside their house and sell sticks of gum, one stick at a time. And if they sold two packs worth of gum for their mom or dad's little store all day long, it didn't matter that technically he or she only made 10 cents. Their time was worthless otherwise, mm -hmm. right? So why is that important? And the same thing was true for cigarette or cigarettes, for oil, for sugar, for rice, et cetera, et cetera, buy a cup at a time, buy a pound at a time, whatever the case may be. Why is that important? There is still roughly 30% of the population in the world that buys that way. Mm -hmm. And yet more and more of what gets purchased is purchased digitally. Right. And it's purchased in an environment where people can't afford a physical transaction because the physical transaction would cost 100 times the value of the transaction. So it has mm -hmm. to happen automatically, right? Yeah. And that's where I believe this is also where I'm supporting, you know, my own thesis of some of the work I'm doing right now in Web3 is that the combination of metaverse where things can happen in a digital environment without a human touch and where they can happen via smart contract will be required because I believe that five years from now, seven years from now, pick a, pick a horizon uh, obviously, we all know that anything more than even 18 months from now is a, is a dreamer's dream. 
But, you know, let's let's for for kicks and giggles, let's say five years from now, I believe the volume of transactions we see on the on whatever we call the Internet will be more than exponentially larger than what we're seeing today, because people will be buying everything from two minutes of 256 gigs of RAM to Mm -hmm. five minutes of an A5000 GPU to um, the equivalent of a digital cigarette, et cetera, et cetera, in, in trillions of transactions that occur online all day, every day. And so to me, the metaverse is, if nothing else, a potential enabler and more localized, again, we got we have to find a better term, more localized compute in combination with something like smart contracts, if not smart contracts, are required in order to facilitate that access. Well, I the the hyper what I would consider sassification that you're describing about does not actually sound like a, a good outcome for for humans. Um well the 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 uh, to be honest um the debate and the, the, there's another group that I belong to that debates this very issue and ironically the people that the, this group is made up of are all the people that are building all this shit all over the world i mean literally the people i'm in, i'm engaged with twice a year are the people that own like 50% of the global compute right and so they they are either going to their grave hating what they did to the world or making or just happy they're making a lot of money with it but that's the debate and the argument um i have for a long time struggled with the same question and have even written about it since going back all the way to 2008 2009 something like that and that's the question of do we have a choice could we stop you know consumption if we wanted to right um if if we don't enable exponential change in consumption i.e going from a mainframe to a to a tower from a tower to a blade from a blade to a vm from a vm to a to a container from a container to a function if we don't allow those exponential changes in delivery opportunity what are we denying we're actually denying more people access to some form of internet transaction because everything will become more expensive and more um limited in availability because imagine if Google was still trying to deliver Google Cloud in the same format of number of machines per person and machine deployability and efficiency of use per machine that they were in 1998. Imagine if they still were building to that standard. Every one of our searches would cost us five bucks. So it's not that it would happen and we'd be paying five bucks. It never would have happened. And so then the only people that would have access to that capability would be a very limited number of people for a much smaller Google who could afford that accessibility and make them differentiated in the market. And so we, we run the risk. We, we run the risk if there is such a thing as democratization to access to technology and, and transactions and growth, then um, the, the exponential increase in low cost access to technology is the only path. The problem with that is, I, 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 this is this the, the the thing that troubles me is there's an efficiency argument in here that I think is is not. I think it's the way we're used to thinking about it. But there's there was 
and locality is an interesting component here is that you know i'm not trying to move us backwards but we've we've created this global efficiency argument that you know maximizing the use of the resources is the is the objective and maximizing the revenue from those resources is the objective right um and and but it takes away ownership and autonomy from the consumers of that that infrastructure on the grounds that the Google's using it more efficiently. I mean, if you went back to small towns and or even cities, the way we structured them in the past, they, they were much more um, autonomous units with with infrastructure and government decision making capability and things like that. And I what what I get worried about in in this discussion, what I what I keep wanting Edge to be able to do is to say I have autonomy on the compute infrastructure or the infrastructure, because I think compute is going to be tied into the infrastructure period of my home, of my city, of my you know region. And those things are actually, you know, assets that you can own and manage. Because the, the challenge of renting everything, right, is that is that if you're if you move and I think companies are already seeing this, by the way, in their cloud consumption, is that if you if you're like, oh, it's fantastic, I can rent this stuff instead of buy it. And then my business becomes dependent on it. And now I'm renting stuff that my business, you know, you never have an asset. Yep. And and the the economies of scale on building an asset are actually material. Right. Um, yeah. And you know, at, what that right. what that then ends up being is, yes, there's a there is a, I won't call it democratization, but there's a, you know, there's a lower barrier to access to some of these function, this functionality, these, these features, but it ends up creating mega, it, it, it ends up creating hyperscalers. To go back to my we, we have, we have hyper, we have hyperscalers that are, you know, the ones that actually are living the living the uh, the issue of buying capital equipment, putting it in place, managing it, and so forth for for everybody else to rent. Right, and, and the problem. Oh, sorry, Richard. that's a problem. Yeah, but the, and the the other problem with that relative to us and and Rob, I think you and I talked about this a little bit before in another way, and that's that um, no enterprise environment is one environment. That's right. Right, a colocation is an enterprise environment in the macro and uh, an enterprise is an enterprise in the micro and an enterprise in the micro is a combination of both scale demand, uh, elasticity um, in, in speed, uh, in um, uh, 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 what's, what's the word, um, tiering from an availability, uh, et cetera, et cetera, um, uh, protection from a data standpoint, uh, longevity from a data standpoint, et cetera, et cetera. So what, unfortunately, when a cloud provider builds something, they build for the highest common denominator for all of that stuff. So I could build um, storage and put it on a five-year um, CapEx depreciation cycle and potentially keep all that storage running for seven or eight years, whereas the, the uh, Amazons of the world make a profit on it and um, and they're not really buying it that much cheaper than you would. It looks cheaper out the door, but from an ownership standpoint, it's really not that much cheaper. 
Um, you know, the, the misnomer about global purchasing is that the, the fact that they buy a server for $500 less than you is somehow a big deal. It's not. It is not a big deal in the lifespan of the server. And at, interestingly enough, the depreciation on your five-year cloud thing doesn't change after year three. It doesn't no. change after year five. It's the same. You're paying the fucking same, if not more, as prices go up. And so all of that opportunity in combination with the layers of, well, I don't really need um, you know, this kind of accessibility or scale requirement because my accounting department is 20 people. And whether it's October 31st or October 15th, the difference between demand of the uh, finance tools goes from seven users to 12 users or from 70 users to 120 users. But that doesn't mean that I need any more than one extra server, one extra VM. There's, there's, there's legitimate burst, and then there's a whole bunch of, of in, right. in, in, inaccurately defined burst right. requirements. And, and so um, the I total bottom line is that's a long way of saying I completely agree with what you just said, Rob. But um, and, and again, th this is a big but, for lack of a better definition. Um, you know, my thinking around Edge is not that we enable um, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Baidu, Alibaba, et cetera, et cetera, to figure out how to own the power delivery for the entire world indefinitely, but rather for us to find ways to more effectively utilize other people's infrastructure through some form of common set of gateways, right? With the advent of smart contracts, with the advent of AI, I can see in the next three to five years, a simplified way to do app demand definition almost instantaneously and deploy it to where it needs to be to satisfy that either just-in-time or long-term benefit, regardless of which hundred suppliers across the world end up making up the resource for it. And the that's what I call purposeful. Sorry for interrupting. I've been trying to get a word in edgewise. Purposeful <laughs> computing. Yeah. That is purposeful computing. And the word, because of we can't use localized, because it means too many different things to too many people, is proximate. You can't say regional, you can't say national, but it's proximate. It's proximate to the consumer or right. it's proximate to the producer or both yes. sides of that. But purposeful is to overcome the idea that I don't believe that that you can democratize the internet anymore. I think we're so well past that, that it's never going to happen. We can decentralize it more. It's what Tim Berners-Lee is working on and folks like that. But irrespective, you can be purposeful about how you separate those microtransactions that you were speaking of earlier to the bigger picture and create that notion of you know, kind of like the old Russian dolls, nested dolls. Yep. Well, you have equanimity at this level and you have an equanimity at another level and so forth and so on. And when you take them all apart, you can put them back together in whatever way you want. Right. And that's also part of the concept of being purposeful, because if you look at the cost of cloud, and I'm doing this with two other people, 
that are involved, one from Microsoft, one from AWS, the hue and cry of the CFOs in the last six months has been contain my cost. It's way too expensive. You know, this was, um, um, uh, what's the word? Um, not a, uh, it was misleading advertising is the only words that wow. I can think of. Sorry, my brain is not kicked in in English today. Was, um, people, was people ignoring the evidence for convenience because uh, they they were literally being stupid? Is is the only <laughs> they were? <laughs> yep, they were. So there's this now you know thing going on within Microsoft, within AWS, within Google, where they're doing um, they're calling them optimization engineers. And, and they're working with, quote unquote, very large companies to try and find ways for them to save some of the cost. Now, you guys heard me, Mark didn't hear it, but you guys heard me say this before, a particular instance where there's a very large drug company who's trying to get all the other pharmaceuticals to come in with them and push back against the Microsofts and the AWSs because their average cost on a monthly basis for 18 months has been between $844,000 and $878,000 per month for more than a year. Yeah. And that's big effing dollars, not little ones. Yeah. And what they found as they're going through it is not only in this multi-cloud environment that they're dealing with, that there's bundles of functions in services that are then repackaged and called something else. And they're actually starting to find many places where the, the service that they are paying for is duplicated, triplicated, quadruplicated across their entire bill within the same instance, within the same region, within the same cloud provider. Right. I, I, I'm sorry. The idea of having AWS and Azure and GCP solve, trying to solve that problem for their customers. Individually. Individually. Yeah. What does that mean? I'm, well, I'm, the Microsoft this people way. are doing That's it like, for that Azure. Is, and that, the... that just makes, that makes my head spin because when... I and, and I've spent a lot of time because of some work that I I do with Strategic Blue, looking at financial operations, FinOps for cloud, and right. basically AWS, GCP, Azure, do their utmost to prevent the consumer of, and I'm talking about the large consumer like you're just you just described from. Um, Basically, buying what they need, buying over buying over time, there is no there is no means by which they allow the enterprise to engage in futures, for example, not really. And you know, you're you're talking about dealing with what is you know a commodity should be a form of commodity, at least in infrastructure. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're doing everything they possibly can to prevent it. So, you know, I, I, I guess I have a little bit of a of a problem with it. And they're reporting, by the way, um, 
getting a bill and trying to make sense of the bill from AWS or, or Azure or GCP is, you know, it's an exercise in complete frustration. How many of us have used a tool, even a simple tool for home use, for, for helping you manage what uh, data you have and how to keep or throw it away? How many people have actually used it and kept up with one? I abandoned. Right. 90% of people do it for a little while and realize that it's an effort largely in futility um, yep. and, or, and or you spend more time in value than you get back in value from doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what most people are going to find from the poor information that is provided because of lack of business context, right? Um, uh, that they're going to find that same problem with the cloud providers. And, and that kind of service is going to maybe benefit 10 or 20% of the potential customer base in some small way. And that's probably but- only because those are the ones that have some anal person whose only goal in life is to say, I saved another 20 bucks an hour. Uh, today. Yeah, well, we're talking about so, not 20 bucks. We're talking know. about, you know, we're talking millions. about millions. millions of dollars, right? Right. But right. The, so, the, problem with, the problem with making those choices, though, sorry, Joanne, really quickly, the problem with making those yeah. choices is everyone that makes those choices will have to do research before they cut off or recommend cutting off something because no one in the, no single person in the organization is going to have enough visibility to understand whether this just-in-time setup of a bunch of servers and storage might actually turn into the boon for the company that somebody thinks it will be, or and, and, it's just and something. Just, just to be just to be clear, this optimization, I'm not I'm not even touching the actual management and deployment of of the resource. I'm right. just talking about the pricing and the ability right. to buy or exchange or swap for somebody else that needs the configuration I have, but I can't use either at the moment or for the next year, it does not exist. And they do everything they can to prevent it from that. I agree. And so so the charge came, uh, we're in August, June, from the CFO, global CFO of this manufacturing company, Big Pharma, who said, A, each to each of the cloud provider representatives, I want a single pane of glass. I want three columns. I want to know in real time what everything is costing me on each cloud. And until you can do that, I'm canceling your contract one by one by one. And I will put my bad, we will, we kept our data center going as our backup facility, and we will go back to being on enterprise. The threat that he also made to all three of them is I will go public with this if you can't figure out how to give me what I want. Mm -hmm. So now I have three different players uh, they're all friends. One of them is trying to start a company that actually does this kind of optimization strategy for the large enterprise to say, here's where you're getting double billed. Here's where all the gotchas and extras are coming in. And by the way, you're poorly placed on X cloud versus Y cloud. Yeah. Okay. All well and good. Um, but this is ongoing and it's to your point. You don't need everything you're buying. They're very, um, 
sort of, they're way too vague about what you get when you onboard a particular service in a particular instance type in a particular region and so forth and so on. It's like n times n minus one. And now it's all starting to come back and bite them. And the reason that I kind of went down that road is because to Mark's point about the microtransaction and the volume of them, well, this is Ripple. (laughs) That's going to be even bigger. Oh, you mean Ripple the currency or Ripple the... Ripple the... You're talking about the, the storage, right? Well, I'm talking about all three, actually. Okay. There's a ripple in the market. There's ripple the XRP, you know, backbone, (laughs) the backbone of it, not the currency of it. Okay. And then there's the issue of the microtransactions, which would commoditize then not be more expensive in this notion of purposeful computing because you could limit how many transactions before it starts costing too much to the consumer. And and there is there is a mega trend that I'm seeing, sort of my it's my theme for 2023 around what you're talking about, which is enterprises looking at what they're doing, and seeing a very confusing landscape with a lot of inter intermediately successful projects and teams that are all doing different things that are promising. You know, like like we we have. As, as individual consumers and companies, the market has encouraged in, us to, to be very laissez-faire about all of these different approaches and tools and things. We, I mean, I'm just I'm thinking just about video subscri- video service subscriptions. It's like mm-hmm. instead of like just watching more on Netflix, I added Paramount because I wanted to watch one show there, and now I've got two subscriptions. But I mean, which is which is very specific, but. The same thing I see happening all across these enterprises. And even if they're doing similar things, they're not doing similar things in the same way. And their skill right. sets are right. Right. One of the challenges, like to Rich's point about AWS and rationalizing AWS, is you might have 20 people, 20 teams using AWS, the same services, and you, but differently. So you can't come in and optimize them in a consistent way or even share right. the work. And so we've yeah. created the- this incredibly jumbled experience and i'm watching everybody sort of step back and be like oh it's it's confusing um linking all the way back to vmware one of their messages here is that we're in a phase of cloud confusion um and and i actually think i don't think that's a good go to market for them but i think it is (laughs) (laughs) Mm, but 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 i do think it is a very accurate reflection of what their customers are feeling Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and what we're talking about. Yeah, I've had conversations. Well, literally, uh, sorry, Rich. Uh, I'll, I'll, I promise to make this really quick. I've had conversations with J.P. Morgan Chase and Morgan Stanley, in just in the last week, senior folks, managing, uh, um, uh, not managing partners. What do they call them? Uh, managing directors of of technology segments in both those two companies, who have said that they are in the process of rationalizing their deployments. Because the the move to the move to um, you know this kind of all cloud approach has turned out to be not the nirvana that um, they all originally thought it would well, be, and it, control is very hard to come by when you do it. Yep. Well, sorry, Rich. And I'm, I'm sorry. It, it, just to be clear, JPMC and and the financial sector generally never said 
And, and nobody that I ever encountered said, we're going to go all cloud because they can't. They can't, they, they can't manage it. They can't manage the risk that they're in, they're engaging. And they've, they also, um, you know, they said it, the, the issue but has they, been. They, they were cloud they first, they, though. They were, yeah. they were they, trying they were, to be cloud first. They were trying, you, had to, you, were, you had to help but, them. They, they had to make decisions for every application about why it couldn't be cloud. Why it couldn't be. And, and, so, and so right up front, you know, you're, but you're right. And they are looking at what do I want to bring back and out of the cloud and back into a, into, but here's a, here's a, well, two points. One is what Joanne was just describing is exactly what we did in the 1980s with electronic mail. We had mm -hmm. all uh, we had all of the different services, and they gave lip service to interworking and interconnection, but they didn't do shit about it. We were pushing. We said, "Look, you've got two options. They're they're mature enough to make use of. Go with." the TCP IP approach to internet working. If you're in bed and in it and doing, and the jurisdiction is a PTT somewhere in the world, use the OSI model, but you can interconnect your mail systems. You can interconnect your directory systems. And basically they were, you know, everybody was, was pushing back. So what I did was go to the American uh, Aeronautics Association, the AEA, and every big enterprise and said, you guys can't talk to one another when you're doing a big defense project or government project or commercial project, can you? You can't get your emails to, to work. And they said, no, we can't. I said, fine, come in, join us. This was the Electronic Mail Association. And we just put the strong arm on GTE Telenet, MCI Mail, ATT mm. Mail, all of them, and they they finally got it. But you had to do that. You had to put the pressure, the the big pressure on from the big spenders, and that's what I yeah. hear Joanne kind of leading up to. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, and and it's not just in pharma. You know, I mean, oh, you have companies like, you know, all across big the beverage, the, the one that owns like 300 brands who is sitting there going WTF. I can't do this anymore because it's not sustainable. And worse yet, we're only using maybe 25 percent of the capability. Yeah. So they're they're going to slowly transition back. I'm not saying that they'll repatriate everything, but they're also looking at this notion, this 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 idea of purposefulness, by the way, or purposeful computing also is something that I've been talking to them about in terms of you have to support sustainability. You already have sustainability as a big value proposition. You now have to do something about it, whether it's uh, recording the carbon in your supply chain or trying to be carbon neutral or anything yeah. like that, the purpose and the delivery of that purpose can go together. 
so you can start looking things in a far more holistic way. And I think that 24, 25, 26, we're going to start to see that more. And the experience called now metaverse, but the immersive engagement will start to emerge then because that will be the most cost-effective way Yeah. with purpose. Yeah. We're yeah. doing it for communication and innovation. We're not doing it to go hang out with a bunch of avatars right. and be yeah. social. Yeah, I mean, if I could, if I could use the megaphone one more time before we wrap up, you can take the closing comment. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, and I, I, now you guys will be glad I don't, uh, join, but once every two years, because I take up so much of the air. Um, but um, I, I've been saying since the beginning, literally the beginning of cloud, probably 2008, 2009, when people talk about, um, they, they, a lot of people in the industry, including people that have done my job historically, like to talk about, oh, no, but we'll be working on those things that add value to the company instead of building servers or whatever. You know how many CFOs care about that story? Zero. <laughs> Zero CFOs are pragmatic enough, or or I should say not pragmatic enough, to care whether Rich spends eight hours a day building servers or one hour a day. They could give a shit. They really could give a shit. So whether you're putting in VMware or moving to the cloud, what happens is three years after you start, what have you created? You've created a giant new centralized line of cost or, or focused line of cost associated with that activity. What does that create for the CFO? A target. I can put that. Does he care or she care what that might have saved in what could have happened without that technology? No, they don't. Does he or she care if telling somebody, Joanne, what if you ran email on your own? Could you do it cheaper? That's all he cares. That's all he or she cares about. And Joanne will say, because this will augment her position and make her stronger in the organization, sure, I could run email a little bit cheaper than we pay for it from Google or whoever else. And boom, that's what happens with a CFO. So when we when we neglect, the point of that whole story is when we neglect to take the human equation into consideration for how technology will be adopted and used, we, we are doomed to repeat the failures of the past. It's just that simple in my book. Well, and that's a human cry for human centric design. <laughs> Yay. Yep. Agreed. Fascinating path from VMware to edge to metaverse to, um, to the economics of, yeah, economics. No, this is, really is, this is you know, look, people took a look at cloud computing and said, this should have the same kind of, economic foundations that any utility has electric power telecommunications all of it and then you kind of say yeah great in theory all of those have optimal you know means of you know management and they're, they're and yet I'm sorry, it just ain't it, it ain't been happening. <laughs> I I still uh defy you to go, well, Rob, you know what it's like dealing with power electric power in in uh, in Texas, for example. No, it's, a, it's they've they've know. not they've not managed to create a utility out of this. And I no. I don't think um 
I don't think the major vendors wanted to become a utility. No, no. And I, get regulated. And guess what? I don't think the major major providers of what we're calling cloud and it goes beyond the the hyperscalers want it either. It they, doesn't suit their purpose. They want you to think of it as if that's the nature of your choice. They don't want to deliver it as <laughs> a utility though. And so those yeah. are you know two two uh, at odds uh, activities. But I've had that argument with Swardley, Simon Wardley, since the beginning of cloud, because he always said, "No, it's just going to be like power. Nobody builds their own um, power places anymore." Guess what? After a hundred years of failed institutional delivery of power, guess what people are doing these days? <laughs> Microgrids. That's right. Solar power, methane. Yeah. Methane yep. generated from dairy, dairy farms. Because they can right. do it cheaper and they can control their destiny of what kind of power they yeah. supply to themselves. Yeah. That's exactly it's, right. It's All right. A we, we do need to run. Till next time. Great seeing you guys. Thanks, Thanks for, for joining. We love it. Bye. Bye. Talk, talk later. Bye. Wow. I love when the Cloud 2030 discussions follow uh, basically the, the way the technology works and connect these dots together. It is very easy for us to go into silos and think about just edge or just uh, digital contracts or just cloud or infrastructure. Um, but these are highly connected things. Choices we make in one place, progress we make in one place definitely impacts other places. So I hope you enjoyed these types of conversations. This is what Cloud 2030 is all about, and I hope you will choose to be part of it. You can find out more at the2030.cloud. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.